0: Hey guys, it's Allie. Welcome back to Infertility of the Podcast. This is episode 120 called Hannah. Today's episode is sponsored by BIOS Fertility Institute. You guys, I've had the pleasure of working with BIOS for Fertility Rally, and I cannot say enough good things about how much BIOS gets it when it comes to infertility, fertility, and the patient experience. BIOS is built on a foundation of patient-centered care, evidence-based medicine, and innovative technology they have clinic locations throughout the country and patients from around the globe and as a patient you'll notice a difference from your very first phone call to the team celebration of your positive pregnancy test and everything in between bios physicians are board certified and fellowship trained reproductive endocrinologists and infertility specialists many of them have also experienced fertility treatment or a struggle to build their own family firsthand the bios fertility institute team works to create an individualized plan best suited for a patient's emotional, physical, and financial needs. I got to know Vios first through their social media handle, and I'm super impressed by their commitment to the fertility community overall. Through Instagram, Facebook, their blog, and other social media, they offer great resources and credible fertility education. Check them out in all the social places at Vios Fertility, and check out the blog on their website, ViosFertility.com. To learn more about BIOS, to take advantage of that education and fertility information, or to schedule your first appointment, visit BIOSfertility.com. That's V I O S F E R T I L I T Y.com. Thanks, BIOS. Okay, guys, let me tell you about my amazing guest today. Her name is Hannah Johnson, and she is the Chief Strategy Officer at BIOS Fertility, and she's a mom of two. She has a really interesting story, what she calls a reverse infertility journey. And as you listen, you're going to understand what she means by that. But basically, she went from doing fertility treatments in the name of science as part of her job to actually going through a fertility journey of her own when she started to build her family. So you're going to hear about that, and we're going to touch on PCOS, the egg retrieval she did as part of her job her miscarriage and how she and her husband both process that trauma and so much more. So I love Hannah, she's super cool, she's become a good friend of mine and I hope you enjoy. So without further ado, this is Hannah's infertility story. Hey, Hannah. It's so good to talk to you. Hey, Allie. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for doing this. Did you always want to have kids? Are you one of those people that grew up always wanting to be a mom?
1: Yes, 100%. Okay. What were you like growing up? Yeah, I think I my initial maternal instincts came when I became a big sister. So I'm a middle child between two boys. And I was three years old when my little brother, Caleb, was born. And he was... And I still believe one of the greatest gifts to me in my life. He is my best friend. Mm. And I think at that age, being three, being a very verbal three-year-old, I just dove into a caregiving role pretty immediately. I just absolutely loved being a big sister. I thought he was my baby. Oh, Uh, that's so (laughs) cute. Mm. Yeah. So I think that experience sort of set the foundation of always knowing that I wanted to be a mom.
0: Okay. So let's fast forward a bunch. Did you guys talk about having kids right away or like, how did that play out in your relationship and how soon after you got together?
1: Yeah. So my husband and I have actually been together for almost 20 years. Mm -hmm. Um, We met Mm -hmm. when we were pretty young. I was 16 and he was 20 and we got married when I was 24. And that was definitely a, a topic of conversation. Even early on in our relationship, we We pretty pretty much knew we were the ones for each other, Mm -hmm. um, pretty early on, and so discussions like that happened pretty quickly. And my husband is a an engineer, but in his free time, he's a hockey coach, a youth hockey coach. Ooh, I love that. Yeah, yeah, he's been coaching for uh, over fifteen years, and absolutely loves it. And he's a a phenomenal coach. So that was a pretty early indicator to me that I had nothing to worry about on the the dad front. And then I have worked with kids as well, um, was a nanny, babysat a lot. And then I was an Irish dance teacher. So for us, we just always knew kids were going to be part of our life and we wanted them. Um, but because we we met so young and we got married young, uh, we definitely gave ourselves some time to, mm-hmm. to grow up a little bit and to just spend our time together childless before diving into becoming parents. But we, we've we always known we wanted to be parents and um, it's really definitely kind of core to who we are. Yeah. It's so
0: funny that you were 16 because I was 16 when I got together with my husband. We oh, were no high way. school sweethearts. Yeah. And it's so wild to think about 16. Like I felt so like grown up at the time. <laughs> but now like my daughter's 11 and to think yeah. that in five years she could meet her husband, you know, like,
1: <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's I so completely, wild. completely feel you on that. I think about that all the time, yeah. um, especially now that I am a mom of daughters, Right. Um, I, I can't imagine how my parents were able to kind of keep it together. But I, um, I think a lot of it was helped by the fact that my husband was always just so so straightforward with them and, and kind, and they fell in love with him pretty quickly too. But it is a crazy thought to think that that could be us too. <laughs>
0: so, okay. Spoiler alert. You do have two girls, which is wonderful, two. but it was not an easy road to get there. Correct.
1: It was not as easy as I'd hoped. And I think it's really funny um, considering I've worked in, in the infertility space, my entire career, like mm-hmm. I, if anyone's intimately familiar with making their way to parenthood, it's it's certainly me. And so when it didn't go as planned, I think it surprised me in the sense that it was an eye-opener and a reality check for me. So not yeah. surprising that people don't get pregnant when they want to exactly, but more that it was an eye-opener to me that it can hit close to home. Um, mm-hmm. And even though I've seen it around me a million times, it was... In in a, in some ways a good reminder and a good reality check to keep me keep me honest and keep me thinking about our patients and and what they go through every day. Right. So okay, let's talk about your career. Tell us exactly
0: what you do and like when you started. And it's almost like a which came first, the chicken or the egg. Like, so were <laughs> you were in the field before you started to try to have kids?
1: Yes. So I'm the, yeah, I'm the chief strategy officer at Vios, which means I I have the most amazing, fun, incredible job. I really get to work with all of our different departments and all of our physicians on continuing to create a really great patient experience for our patients. And yeah, interject and say, we love Vios (laughs) there. You know, we (laughs) We love Fertility Rally works with you guys on
0: so many things and you guys are just such great partners because it's a very strong female founded company, which we love. And you were employee number one, right?
1: I was, I was, yeah. So I met um, our CEO medical director, Dr. Angie Belzos, when I was 20. Mm -hmm. And I started off infertility by doing an internship. I did, uh, I assisted with a phase for clinical trial and FDA trial for a new medication and spent the summer between my junior and senior year of college, just diving into that. I learned so much so fast because I was responsible for reviewing charts and looking at inclusion and exclusion criteria for this study. So I fell in love with fertility and never really looked back. I was planning to be an OBGYN And once I met Angie and spent this time working with her and getting to know fertility, I realized that I loved fertility. It was really an interesting field of medicine because it was new and cutting edge and it had clinical and laboratory and really interesting administrative pieces to the puzzle. Mm -hmm. So I really liked all of that Mm -hmm. uh, together in this one space. And then I also found that I really enjoyed working with physicians and alongside them and supporting them. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a big decision to decide not to go to med school. And I didn't know if it was going to be the right decision, but something in my heart told me, you know, I wanted to stick with this amazing woman that I had met and see what fertility would do for me. And I'm so glad that I did that because I, now I get to work with all these incredible physicians, mm-hmm. these powerful, wonderful women. And, and I, I get to do something different every day. So that right. keeps me on toes. And it sounds like you've got um,
0: kind of both sides of the coin right like you do the the kind of medical side but also like the people side too like the yeah it's not one of the, it's kind of the best of both worlds i would imagine
1: exactly that's a cool exactly job like, <laughs> i do i really think it's like the coolest job ever and what i love about it is that I get to, to interact with all the different departments Mm -hmm. in bias. And I think one of the things about us is we are very self-aware. So we know we're not perfect. We've grown really, really quickly. And I think when you have a team that recognizes that and then embraces it and comes uh, with solutions and ideas, and they're really enthusiastic that that's what continues to help you grow and be better. Mm -hmm. And so I get to do that on a big scale with our entire team, which has grown to almost 250 people across five states. So it's, it's pretty awesome. Yes. I love my job. (laughs) I could talk about that for the full 45 minutes. Totally. So what did you learn?
0: Like before you started to try to have kids, did you learn some things about fertility that you hadn't learned like from sex ed or growing up?
1: Oh my gosh! Yes, and in fact, I continue um, to this day to lead a fertility 101 for all of our new employees. Now that we're so big, I'm I'm trying to digitize that and make it a little more streamlined. But I've always enjoyed that. I do it on the first day that our employees start because there is so much that we didn't learn mm-hmm. in school, and so much of like sex ed is focused on preventing pregnancy and preventing yeah. the transmission of STIs that there's so much lost in terms of understanding in your body. And it's it's really heartbreaking because I think that there are a lot of different decisions that women would make if they knew more about their bodies and they knew more about their cycles and, and red flags to look for, but that's just not something that's emphasized. So yeah, I absolutely learned so much about the entire process, starting with the menstrual cycle, which I think is the most important foundation mm-hmm. to understanding your fertility and understanding what things look like for you. And so I think that it was a, definitely a, an eye-opening dive into this field of medicine because not only was I learning a lot about medicine and and about infertility um, as a, a medical specialty, but I was learning so much about myself and, and recognizing things that I hadn't really paid attention to or made note of in the past. So mm-hmm. Absolutely, it was a, an eye-opener.
0: What were a couple of the examples, if you don't mind, or either about yourself or even just in general, like that yeah, you learned um, that you didn't know before?
1: One of the big things for me was I, I was really surprised that male infertility, male factor infertility was equally as prevalent as female factor. And I think it's because the female experience is so in your face when it comes to infertility. If you have male factor infertility, you still have to, to do a lot of treatment on the woman. So to learn that that was equivalent was really surprising to me. And I think another one of the things that was surprising to me or something that I I was glad I learned early on was that I think a lot of young women are taught that irregular cycles are not that big of a deal or having really heavy cycles are not that big of a deal when you're younger. And then so many girls are put on birth control pretty young to help manage some of those things. And I think learning about why those are happening and why irregular cycles are not normal was a very important part of my journey in understanding how I would become a mom because I, I did have really heavy cycles. I did have irregular cycles, um, that really pointed towards potential PCOS. And I, I'm glad I knew that earlier and I probably wouldn't have if I hadn't been in this field. Yeah.
0: It's yeah. so, it's so incredible how many women I talk to, I would say in the 90% range That were like, oh yeah, I was put on the pill at, you know, 15 or 14 or even earlier. And that masked so many things that were going on with them, you know, and it's, I'm Mm -hmm. so happy that people like you are out there educating, you know, this next generation and like our daughters, because I feel like they're going to be more in control and armed better with better information. Cause you're right. You know, I've said this a hundred million times, so sorry to the listeners who've heard this, but all we were taught was like don't get pregnant. It's so easy yes. to get pregnant. That's it. End of story. And yep. it's so it pisses me off actually, because there's so much more to it than that. And I think so many of us could have avoided heartbreak had we known.
1: I it makes me so angry. And one of the things that I'm really passionate about is just talking about what I do and opening up conversations. You know, my husband and I joke before holiday parties or weddings. There's There's almost always somebody who corners me um, at any event that we go to to talk about what they're going through. (laughs) So uh, sometimes we even take a bet on who we think it might be. Um, (laughs) It's just so, it's so prevalent. And I think the more we can talk about it, the better because that whole, I I usually use the mean girls quote when I'm doing my fertility 101 like, if you get pregnant, you'll die. Um, And uh, (laughs) if you get an STI, you'll die. And I, I think that that mentality has just, completely flooded everyone's brain that they have not had an opportunity to, to make real, truly informed decisions about their health. And one of the things that I'm very passionate about, and I really hope that I see this in my lifetime, is that we start talking about fertility as part of routine OBGYN care, and not just waiting till it gets to a specialist. Because I think that if young women, even if just one time, and I understand it wouldn't be realistic to do this at every annual appointment, but I think if even just one time in your early 20s, if you were able to have a simple fertility assessment, you know, look at FSH, estradiol, AMH, and maybe do an follicle count ultrasound, that that would open up so much of a world of knowledge for Mm -hmm. young women to make a decision to see if maybe they have a diminished ovarian reserve, or they have a really, really high AMH and maybe they have PCOS. There's so many things we could learn just a handful of tests that I, I hope someday I see that that's part of our routine care for young women so that they can make better decisions about their family building and and really figure out what their path and their plan is going to be.
0: Mm-hmm. I know. I keep envisioning a world where we're like a bunch of us band together and do like a school tour and like go around and like yeah. speak oh my to gosh, schools. Like, can we do that?
1: Yeah. I am so in. I like Cause it. I'm always
0: like, I want to do like, I want to make a change, but like, it's like, who's going to make it. We got to get out there and do it. You know, like, yes. I just think yes. it would be so awesome. Have like assemblies or something just for young women and just to let them know, like they've got the power, you know, it's, it's not, it doesn't have to be a scared straight like
1: situation. Exactly, And honestly, the more, you know, about yourself with your body, the more likely you are to the right decisions when it comes to preventing pregnancy and then attempting pregnancy. So Mm -hmm. it's a win-win situation. I think, you know, One of our, um, our two physicians, Dr. Amber Cooper and Dr. Julie Ree, who started our Vio St. Louis location, they actually, in our early days, had to haul an ultrasound machine in their minivan from one location to another. So why don't we just grab a minivan and an ultrasound too while we're at it? Let's go on tour.
0: I'm not (laughs) kidding. I'm dead serious that I would do something like this. I would love that. That would be so meaningful. Okay. Okay. We'll talk later about it. (laughs) Okay. Perfect. All right. So anyway, so it's just so awesome what you guys are doing. Let's get back to your story though. So, okay. Tell me what happened when you guys started to try.
1: Yeah. So I have a weird little um, interlude to my story in that I've actually, I've been through two egg retrievals mm-hmm. and a lot of people don't know that because I did not have to use my embryos to get pregnant with my two daughters. Mm-hmm. And the reason that I went through two retrievals was because I am the lover of science and we had a debate within the, my old clinic about whether or not um, it was appropriate to allow egg donors to keep in in long form um, types of birth control. So like a marina IUD or Implana and ones that were hormonal. And there was a, a bit of a debate amongst the physicians and both within our clinic and just the community about whether or not there was an impact on cycles by using those birth control methods and some physicians felt like the the dose was so low that the medications being used would you know would totally overpower any any sort of birth control effort there and then other physicians felt like there could be you know a harmful impact and when we're talking about egg donor cycles these are really big investments for the intended parents and so it's important to make sure that everything we're doing is, is perfect for them. And so I kind of jokingly raised my hand and said, you know, I'm young I'm I'm an egg donor type person at, at this time. I was in my early twenties and I had an implant on, which was a long, uh, long form type of birth control. It's a five-year birth control implant that you put in your arm. What and- is it called? Implanon, it might be Nexplanon now, you know, they all change names and stuff, but it's a little rod that they insert uh, in your arm. And so I said, well, I'm young and I'm, um, you know, theoretically a good prognosis, you know, a donor type patient, and I have this. So, why don't you guys stimulate me and see what happens? And so, you know, it wasn't a um, highly scientific case match type study. It was just, you know, just a single single person, just me. But it was an opportunity to see what what was going to happen, and my cycle was absolutely wild and crazy i have um i think my anthropophilic conic kind of baseline was somewhere around 35 and um my follicles grew really well and my estradiol never ever made it above a thousand which was just completely unexpected for what is it supposed to be so generally speaking, when you've got a mature follicle, like usually people say back at the napkin, you're looking at about 200 um, units of, of estradiol. So with me having as many, as many mature follicles I had, we would definitely have expected me to be somewhere probably in like the 3000 range. And I didn't even make it over a thousand. So that was just weird and alarming in, in and of itself. But I went through the whole process and I had an egg retrieval and made embryos. And and then the physician said, you know what, we don't really need to do more. This was good enough for us. We agree. Let's not use. Let's not let our donors use these types of birth control. We'll have them removed before they stimulate. the whole The whole reason behind this was that we didn't want to inconvenience egg donors by making them remove these long form types of birth control mm-hmm. and then have to go back in and and have them placed again after they donated. But my cycle was wacky enough to convince the physicians who were on the fence that it just probably wasn't worth the risk, okay. um, just in case there was an impact. And so I had these embryos, and then it was a couple of years and- how many d- embryos did you have and also i love that you did this in like the name of science like you're like oh, yeah. i'll do you
0: know like i'll do it to help the greater good like that's yeah. so cool
1: that's that's totally who i am and like this is so interesting i and i I'm, the, I'm a good candidate and i'm internal this would never be something that would be researched of course because you'd have to pay to have people go through ivf And and have this birth control in, and then match it to people who don't, and it just it wouldn't be a study that would be worth funding for most companies. So this is something that just would never really get studied. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was happy to do it, and I ended up with four four normal embryos, and that was actually over two cycles. So um, so my first cycle it really didn't go as well as I would have thought. Uh, I think I was 24 at the time, and you know it, it resulted in. I had a low fertilization rate, and then I had a low blast rate. So I only ended up with, I think, five blasts that first um, cycle, and two of them were normal. Um, we did PGT testing. We really did the whole nine yards to to get a good look at this. Um, and so I was I was disappointed because it was I was expecting more, um, and that was probably my first foray into kind of adjusting expectations. But what I think the most important thing about that cycle was was an absolutely, totally intense appreciation for what all of the women had gone through that I had been working with. As much as I tried to empathize with my patients that I worked with, it was not the same as receiving that large box of medication in the mail and having to sort it and having to administer the meds myself. Um, I think you, you can never go back. Once you've gone through it, you have a different appreciation that just, that you can't have if you haven't gone through it yourself. So true. Um, and and I was young and I again I was really doing this more in the in the name of science and to help patients down the line, but I learned so much about myself and about the emotions that that my patients experience and and what they were feeling and you know and the disappointment that comes with having numbers that are lower than you expect. So those embryos they you know they were there and then a few years later uh, it was time to to start trying and I got pregnant and it was not a good pregnancy. I, I miscarried my first pregnancy. And that was also a very eye-opening experience. All of, in what all way? of the things I'd ever thought in my head. Um, and you know, I was smart enough to never say them. But the things that we often say to ourselves behind the scenes in fertility that are just now in hindsight just so awful things like, well, you know, we're just glad this patient got pregnant. That's a good thing. That's a good sign. You know, we should be able to get them pregnant again. It wasn't that far along. Mm -hmm. I mean, these aren't things that we say, but we think them, you know, as providers like, okay, this is, it's better to get someone pregnant than to never get them pregnant. Um, because then there's so Mm -hmm. much more of an unknown, but then having been pregnant and losing that pregnancy, all of those little catchphrases that we think behind the scenes, they were just so profoundly terrible (laughs) triggering. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, a new layer of appreciation for what all of these women had gone through before me. And what I didn't know about miscarriage was how long the effect would be. So I'm, I'm definitely a a type a, I'm an enneagram three Myers-Briggs ENTJ. So I'm, I, you know, an extrovert. I am um, process oriented and um, goal oriented. And to me, I thought, well, gosh, you know, I work in this field. I have helped so many women through their miscarriage uh, miscarriages uh, in, my, in my experiences and my roles in fertility. I have friends who've gone through it, who I've supported. And yet here I was not coping with it very well at all. And I would say it probably took me almost a year to really, um, really quote unquote, get over it, which was very surprising to me. It was, it was a far more traumatic experience than I could have anticipated, even having been around so many women that had been through it. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that was the biggest surprise for me was, first of all, I'm not invincible (laughs) and I do have feelings and, uh, they, that everyone around me who was trying their hardest to do what I had done for so many people, I just learned a lot about being a supportive friend or partner and, and things to say, things not to say. And that also, sometimes you just have to let time pass. You have to, you can't just, Mm -hmm. you can't force your way through it. You can't get over it without the proper amount of time and processing, which for some people is very short and some people is very long. And I think I just thought, and you never know. Yeah. I thought I would be like, okay, let's get over it. Let's move on. Let's try again. And we'll be fine.
0: Um, Right. So where did you turn for support during that time? And how did it affect your husband as well? Yeah.
1: So I, you know, I was going on a trip with my mom. I was taking her on a trip for her, her birthday. I think it was for her 60th. And, We were going to Hawaii. And so I I found out I was pregnant. And one of the things I didn't know about getting pregnant, of course, because I've not been pregnant before, was that when you get pregnant, like the moment you know you're pregnant, your entire life changes. You are Mm -hmm. immediately a mom. So no matter whether or not somebody who's listening right now has a baby in their arms right now, if they're still on their journey, I totally see you and I feel you if you've if you've been in that place, even just for a brief moment in time, that you you are a mom and in an instant you have these plans and you're thinking about how old they're going to be at this time and it's just that was so surprising to me like this rush of this life that was going to unfold and so i found out i was pregnant i knew i was going to be with my mom shortly and i had this you know whole plan to tell her about becoming pregnant. And I was so excited. We were going to be at the top of Mauna Kea uh, on the big Island. And I was going to tell her she was going to be a grandma. And I was really excited. And then that didn't happen. So I miscarried before we went on our trip. And I had to kind of, I had to figure out, did I want to tell my mom before we went on the trip? so that she could kind of process a little bit and we could enjoy it? Or did I want to tell her while we were there? Because my mom is one of my closest you know, people. And so I, I wanted her there. And my mom, uh, it turns out, was the um, kind of miscarriage guru in her life for many of the women that she taught with. My mom was a teacher for her whole life and she had several losses herself. And when women in school would miscarry, they kind of all heard, well, you should go talk to Krista. She just she's an amazing person i could talk about her forever but having been through it and being sort of that maternal instinct and the as she was a teacher longer and longer becoming more and more of that mom figure for many younger teachers she had helped a lot of women through this so i decided to tell her before we went on our trip and then um i was so glad i had because we got uh we got to hawaii and we were staying with some friends Uh, who I absolutely adore and are my oldest daughter's godparents. And they had to tell us that they were very early pregnant. And I could see how hard it was for my friend, Emily, because she knew what I had gone through because I had Mm -hmm. told her. And she also knew she had to tell me. And I was so glad to have my mom there because I did not probably process that as quickly and easily as I would have hoped Mm -hmm. um, because of course I was so excited for my friends, but having my mom was really, really helpful. Several of my friends uh, being in fertility this long, most of my, my really good friends now um, that are local to Chicago are because of my work. Mm -hmm. Um, So they were wonderful, especially my dear friend, Fran. She helped me from start to finish. She's just an incredible person and Mm -hmm. I am forever indebted to her for how she helped me through all of that. And then there was my husband, but I have to say, you know, I think this was the first really traumatic event that my husband and I experienced together. Yeah. And I think he like so many men before him and will continue into the future. And any partner, frankly, who's not experiencing it as the partner, you just feel so helpless right. and there's nothing you can really do and you can't make it better and you can't fix it. And I think that generally speaking as partners in, in life, you always want to help fix whatever is going on with your partner. And right. this is an unfixable. So that was, that was a challenge for us. And I think that for him, you know, it was such a brief moment in time. I miscarried like at six weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, so very early for so many people who aren't the pregnant person you just don't have that connection yet. So, I think for him it was probably surprising how long it took for me to get over it because he didn't have that same that immediate sense of connection that I felt when I found out I was pregnant. And I think that that's something that I always tell partners who have someone going through this that, you know, you're going to have this sense of wanting to fix it and you also may not understand the time frame because you might not have really felt that intense connection yet. And that's okay. The best thing you can do is just to talk about it, to just name those feelings or, or just talk to each other about how you're sort of in a different place Mm -hmm. so that you can walk through it together. Because Mm -hmm. I think what people want is they want their partner to be on the same exact page. And that's just unrealistic.
0: Um, I'm so glad you said that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So that was my support group. And then I didn't really tell people Allie and I, Carried a lot of guilt for that for a really long time. Mm -hmm. That I was in the infertility community. I was such a vocal advocate for people. I was, you know, helping other people through this and yet had this sense of maybe shame and guilt that. So many people have when they miscarry and I didn't share my story. And I, I finally shared my story publicly. I wrote a blog post about it on my very non-existent blog, Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) but I wrote about my miscarriage and it was, it was the, I think it was during the infant loss and pregnancy loss awareness month, the year that Charlie was born. And I shared my story then. So it took me, it took me like three years to share. Why do you think it took so long? I don't know. And I, and I am still baffled by it because I'm usually such an open book. And especially if my story can help other people. And it, it took me just this, I I don't know. I think I I finally felt like I need to share this because if it's going to help one person, then it will have been worth it. And then the funniest thing happened was I I posted that and I you know put it up on my Facebook and my Instagram. And a few hours later, I got a text from a number that wasn't in my phone. And it was a friend of mine who'd gotten a new phone. Mm-hmm. And she texted me that she was sitting in her OBGYN office to go in to see if her miscarriage was complete. And I didn't know she was pregnant at the time. Mm-hmm. And she said that her post by my post had completely transformed her day and it really helped her. And she there sent it go. to her husband. Cause I talked a little bit in there about how partners can be supportive. Right. And I thought, oh my gosh, Hannah, why did you wait so long? I mean, on the day I posted it, somebody felt a little You changed better. somebody's it, life. <laughs> yeah. If one That's person so feels, cool. feels a little better and feels a little less alone Then it's worth it. So yeah. um, now okay. I, now I always share about it. And I think you know, there's, it's just so common. So many people yeah. will miss Mary during their journey to becoming a parent, whether their first pregnancy or in between right. babies um, or sometimes many, many times along the way. And I'm, mm-hmm. and now I'm just really glad that I, I feel comfortable talking about it because it just helps so much to know when people around you have gone through it and that you're not alone.
0: Yeah. And I want to clarify too, like I love obviously I shared that's why I shared my story too and started this podcast. But you know, if anybody's listening and doesn't want to share, that's okay too. You know, it's like you have to be ready. You have to do what's right. You have to be ready.
1: Yeah. So I get it that you felt (laughs) in retrospect.
0: You're like, I should have, but you weren't ready yet. And that's okay. You know? I
1: love it. Yeah.
0: Think of all the change you've done since then. It's almost like tenfold or hundreds fold, you know, like all the people that you're helping. So,
1: yeah. And you know, people may never feel comfortable sharing, but I'm glad to know that they at least will have resources to, to read or listen to like this podcast that will help them feel less alone. Even if they want to keep that story private to themselves, they can totally, there's so many more resources now, so many more people yeah. that talk about this than even when I first miscarried, which was, I think, six years ago. Mm-hmm. So in six years, I've just seen, in really in the 13 years I've been in fertility, there's been so much change in terms mm-hmm. of sharing and openness and resources and support groups. It's just, it, it's just incredible. It blows my mind. And I'm so happy to know that this next generation... of of patients who are, um, you know, infertility patients or people just trying to conceive that they have more support and resources and, and people and, you know, blogs and podcasts to listen to and read.
0: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And it's at Fertility Rally with our support groups too, along those same lines, we're like, you don't have to talk. You can just come. You don't even have to turn your camera on, you know, like if you just Mm want to be here in the safe space, like I think everybody's at such different points in their journeys. So I agree
1: I, I have to say, I just have to like interject and Allie did not ask me to say anything about this, you guys, but um, <laughs> I have been to some of your support groups, as you know, oh, um, yep. with the BIOS team. And I am so impressed by what you've built. Infertility oh. support groups are incredibly challenging and it's very difficult to create a space that has equivalencies because you might have somebody who's um, going to go through their first IEY. And then you might have somebody who's finishing their last IVF round before donor egg. And those experiences are really different and yet the same. And so to try to find those those ribbons that weave everyone together, but being sensitive to the very different type of journey someone might be on, I think is what makes it hard for so many support groups to to thrive and survive. Mm -hmm. And because when people get pregnant, then they tend to want to kind of leave the community. And what you have built is just, it's really, really amazing. And I, I was so, I, I had so much fun coming <laughs> to the group and seeing everybody and how everyone knew each other and, and connected. And I just think that you built something really special because oh. I've, I've sat in on a lot of support groups and, and been a part of a lot of different things. And the, what you have is, 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 it's like a secret sauce. There's something special there. Oh my God. That's um, so
0: nice. I will Venmo no, you true. after this. No. <laughs> No, honestly, thank you. That really means the world. And, you know, I think it's, you know, we have to give credit to Blair, my co-founder as well. You know, I think we, she and I just have this common goal that we just, you know, we've been through hell. We want to make it better. And, you know, maybe there's something there between the two of us, but I really appreciate that. Thank you well, for saying that. Well, it's true. That.
1: You're, you're achieving that goal. And I think if anyone is looking for that kind of support, what you offer is, it's just so perfect, Thank you. Um, especially now that we're all so used to virtual life. Um, I know. So. Right? I know. <laughs> all right. Well, let's get back to
0: you enough about me, but thank you. <laughs> Honestly, that really, really means the world to me. Well, I
1: mean it from the bottom of my heart. Thank truly. you.
0: Okay. So what happened after the miscarriage?
1: So I took a long time to heal. It it did not um my first instinct was not to jump back into trying to conceive. I was not psychologically ready for that. And then my whole world kind of changed. So I had this miscarriage, and then there was an opportunity to to help Dr. Beltzos start BIOS. And I kind of felt like I was in a I was in a place in my career, in my life where I needed something more. I needed to, I needed to, something more dynamic. Um, and so I left my previous clinic for an opportunity that didn't pan out to be what I wanted it to be. And then reconnected with Angie. And, and so I had a very like short moment out of fertility a few weeks, and then it was time to start bias. And so in the, in the summer of 2015, we um, had this idea, and it's so funny to to think about it. And I I always tell our employees, um, especially recently, like we look like this kind of you know big established network. And we've got all these doctors and these locations, which we do, of course. Um, and we are so fortunate to help so many patients um, achieve their dreams. But just a few years ago, it was an idea at a kitchen table. Um, mm-hmm. I literally started my my job with BIOS working at Dr. Belsos's kitchen table. I love <laughs> because it. We, didn't, we didn't have any locations. Right. And so we, we started in St. Louis. And so there was this opportunity for me that was um life-changing. I, you know, I was the employee number one and I got to help get things up and running. We started in St. Louis, then we came to Chicago, then Milwaukee. Now we've got Portland and Detroit um, this year. So it was it was so interesting. It always is how life turns out, but I don't know if I could have dove in to this new opportunity. And I I don't know if I could have done this whole starting, you know, startup lifestyle had my pregnancy been successful. Mm. And so I, I dove into my work and it was exactly what I wanted, always wanted to do with my life. Like it, it, it really turned out to be an absolute dream come true. And then I got pregnant. Um, I I didn't want to get pregnant while we were really getting going uh, because there's just a lot to do. And so I I worked for a year. And so, about a year and a half after my miscarriage, I um, got pregnant with my daughter, Charlie, and was very surprised that I I got pregnant as easily, easily as I did with her because. Because of my irregular cycles and PCOS, and mm-hmm. just wasn't sure how that was going to work out.
0: Right. So um, you were diagnosed with PCOS along the way, right?
1: Yeah. Yep. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You know, that's how it goes when you work at a fertility clinic. You have you know you get opportunities to to test and right. talk to doctors. So that was great. Okay. Um, and so I had that knowledge and was prepared. You know, if I needed more intervention, and especially after my um, st- my stimulation cycle, you know, it was it was good to to kind of see how things went. And by the way, I missed it another part of the puzzle was after I had my, my birth control removed, we did a second retrieval, um, after my miscarriage because, um, Dr. Beltzos felt that, you know, based on my first cycle and then having, having miscarried that it be, it's better to be proactive and have a plan. And because I have access to those resources, um, and I had insurance coverage, I was able to do another retrieval and was, and only ended up getting another two normal embryos. So, you know, being in my mid twenties and doing two retrievals, I only ended up with four normal embryos, which is, it's not, not fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm really glad that I did it because we just didn't know how my fertility would progress. And again, here's, here's that message of, if only we knew more about ourselves, you know, right. I'm in a very privileged position to have access to these incredible physicians and resources um, and the ability to go through these um, treatments because I had insurance and so many people don't have that. And they oftentimes don't find out till it's way later. So I'm, I feel very, thankful for that. So I had those embryos and then shortly after I got pregnant with Charlie and that was an incredibly healing experience for me from start to finish. Again, it took me about a year to get over, to really feel like I'd processed, you know, right. you never really get over it, but I feel like I had processed it. And then, you know, and then I got pregnant with her mm-hmm. and it felt like everything was the way it was supposed to be. And it felt like that, you know, my, my initial pregnancy and that baby in, in many ways gave me this gift of a new life. I learned a lot about myself and, and how I do and don't process emotions and experiences and trauma. And, um, I also was given this amazing career opportunity that I, I'm just not sure I would have been able to take and dive into the way I did had, things worked out differently. And so it just, it was kind of this full circle experience to get pregnant with Charlie. Yeah, And I never actually um, felt any worry when I was pregnant. I was with say, did I was, you
0: have, you know, pregnancy after loss, pregnancy after infertility? We, we talk about that a lot. Did you have the, that, that, that anxiety that comes along with that?
1: No. And I was really shocked, like truly shocked. I thought I would have, I would be a mess. And like the whole pregnancy would be at the end, mm-hmm. pins and needles. And yet, I just had this really strong sense of healing and, and feeling complete and that, that this pregnancy was going to be okay. And I was Mm -hmm. very positive, very optimistic. And, you know, she healed me in that sense, in terms of she allowed this pregnancy really allowed me to move forward and feel that positivity. And then when I had her, um, there was another layer, I think of, of healing that she brought to me as as a person who needed to learn more patience and more probably more empathy and a lot of the things that mm-hmm. you get as a parent I really credit her for bringing me to a, a really new part of my life yeah and as a different person and uh, particularly in that I and this is was probably anxiety manifesting as rage but before I had her I would have these like really. Frustrated moments, and I would, you know, clench my jaw and my fist, and I get really frustrated and and almost have this like seething rage inside. And that went away when I had her. And I, I just, I don't know. I probably, probably put too much pressure on her. If I tell her this story when she's older, that you know, <laughs> I really feel like she she healed some parts of me, but she did. And and I think it's all woven together with yeah. the experience of having a loss, and then figuring out when do you try again. And, and then there's also um, this real intense sense of, of guilt that I ever felt a little relieved mm. about the loss. And I think that's one of the things that never gets talked about, that sometimes when you miscarry, there is a sense of relief for whatever reason, multitude of reasons. And for yeah. me, looking back on it, I thought, oh, you know, my life has turned out to be my wildest dream. And some of it was because of that, and I felt really, really terrible, feeling those feelings. But then, yeah. when I got pregnant with Charlie, I realized that it was all meant to be. That Charlie was meant to be yeah. my first, my first live baby here on Earth, and and you know it was all part of kind of the journey and the plan. It's so, so
0: true. And Whitney Port just popped into my my mind, who I'd interviewed last year, and she said something about having kind of a sense of relief with a miscarriage as well and a couple of other people on Instagram I've seen mention that but it doesn't get talked about a lot and I think that it's okay to feel that way like you know as women we're trained that that's to feel guilty about that or that that's bad but I think it's okay and I think you by you saying that just now it's making it even more okay so thank you for saying
1: that yeah i and i think especially people who are going through an infertility journey um when they feel that feeling it is very confusing feeling. And, Mm -hmm. and I think it's probably even doubly guilt inducing. So yeah, I'm here to say, if you have that feeling, it might be confusing, but it doesn't mean that you're bad or you're wrong. Just the feeling that you're feeling and all feelings that you feel are valid are are meant to be felt. Totally. I um, love that. So between baby, between Charlie, is Charlie short for something or is it Charlie? Um, it's short for Charlotte, but the oh. only people who call her that are her grandparents. I love that.
0: <laughs> yes. I love that. And okay. So then baby number two, did you have any losses between the two of them?
1: I didn't. So okay. I, I went back. Cause you just
0: the- had your second baby.
1: I did, right? yes. Yes, Willa is eight weeks old. Oh my gosh. Yeah, she's a- And
0: they're all like fish. mini Hannahs. They're, you they sent me are, a picture and you're, yes. your dad, right? Like yes. the generation. The yeah. jeans are strong. They're yes. so cute.
1: Mm-hmm. Gary Johnson's jeans are very strong. I am a, <laughs> Gary a Johnson, him. give it up. <laughs> yes, Love I'm it. a mini him and they're a mini me. They're, they look like clones of each other. It's, they're it's so wild. cute. Thank you. So yeah, so in between, you know, I- did not have any losses. We wanted to have a little bit of separation between our kids. Uh, That was always, that was our plan. You know, some people like to have them close together and Mm -hmm. some people want to have them spread out. Um, And if you're lucky enough to even try to plan that. So for us, we knew we wanted a couple of years um, at least in between. And then, you know, like life just sneaks up on you (laughs) and I had birth control and then I had it removed and I didn't get pregnant. It wasn't really like a, you know, we're not, not trying kind of thing. It was just more, I had it out. I was tired of, of being on birth control. I also have a, I'm a heterozygous for prothrombin thrombophilia, which is a clotting genetic clotting thing. Mm. And so, you know, Dr. Belzo's and my OB practice, they, you know, kind of felt comfortable if I just went off of hormonal birth control because of the increased risk of clots. So I went off of it, didn't get pregnant, but wasn't really actively trying. And then COVID hit right after Charlie turned three. Mm-hmm. And that was obviously a, a very challenging time last spring. We're still living in a challenging time, right. but I just panicked. I didn't know what, what do we do? Do we now wait even more? Um, because at that point I thought, you know, if I don't get pregnant soon, Charlie's going to be well over four years old. And mm-hmm. I never really intended for a four-year age gap. I kind of always thought it would be closer to three, but I hadn't gotten pregnant and, and so we decided to start trying again and it did not come as easily as it the first time did. And I decided that despite COVID, I felt like I was working from home mostly and I felt like, you know, if I'm going to be pregnant during a global pandemic, you know, I could figure out how to keep myself safe, considering I had, you know, the option to work from home for a while. So we, we decided to go ahead and try. And I just, I didn't want the, I didn't want COVID to be the reason that things didn't work out the way we wanted it to, Right. if we could try. So it was a hard decision because it was, there's so much unknown, but we decided to go ahead. And, and in the back of my mind, I thought, well, if we start trying now, you know, it might not happen right away. So, you know, It may be well into this pandemic. And so I I didn't get pregnant. And that was my first... So I feel like I've had all these different interesting experiences along the fertility spectrum of having retrievals, having a miscarriage, finally getting pregnant. And then this was my first time where I was trying to get pregnant and then seeing those negative tests. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, I'm thankful for that experience because it provides me an opportunity to be even more empathetic to the patients that we we work with mm-hmm. um, as much as i you know never want people to go through that i think it's very eye opening and, and a lot of my friends who know that i work in fertility who have tried for 6 or 7 months and then get get pregnant they say oh my gosh i have such a better appreciation for infertility patients because those 6 or 7 months was re- it was really hard even though that's not the definition of infertility for people who are under 35, you got to try for a year. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that we live in such a time where we want that immediate gratification. So it feels confusing. And again, a lot of people don't know their bodies that well. So they might not be doing the best job of trying. So I didn't get pregnant, I didn't get pregnant. And then I decided with my history being, you know, four years older now and having PCOS that I would go ahead and and try some oral medications um, Mm -hmm. to see if that would help. And it did. I took Letrozole, and that helped immensely. And it's it's a great option for a lot of patients who okay, um, good to know. Who are, yeah, who um, may be starting out in their infertility journey. So, I took Letrozole, and and I didn't end up needing a trigger shot because I I surged on my own, and that helped me get my my Willa. So. Mm-hmm that was also a, a fairly uneventful pregnancy and yeah now i'm a, a mom of two who's been through kind of like a reverse infertility journey right <laughs> uh, interesting starting, yeah starting with retrievals and ending but i'm just really i'm really thankful to have had each and every one of those experiences because working in this field it is so important to to understand our patients. Um, not that I want our our employees to have to go through infertility right. or But so many of you
0: guys have too at we Vios. Have. You know, we Ruby's have. going doctors, through it. Yeah, Ruby's yeah. going
1: through right now. And there's just something, something different about working with somebody who who can say, I've been there. Um yeah. after I had my miscarriage and I worked with patients who had miscarried, you know, there's just a different when I tell someone I'm sorry and I've been there and, and I I understand what you're going through. Instant bond. It's yeah, it's just different. So it's, the empathy um, level
0: is just skyrocket. you know exponentially bigger.
1: Yeah, yeah, even when you thought you were at, you know, a high level. <laughs> right. Um, you know, it's it's really helpful. And I think it was helpful for me because I am a very, you know, I'm a very direct person and I am a type A person. I'm a business person. Um and, and I, I have to look at both sides of infertility, the, the patient experience. I have to look at the employee experience. I have to look at the, it as both a business and a medical service. And so having those extra experiences to make sure that I keep my empathy in check, I think is actually really important really helpful and important, Mm -hmm. just knowing myself and to make sure that I am, I'm reminded of that and that I, I keep always thinking about the patient. That's my number one priority. And what can we do to make their experience better? What can we do to make them get pregnant faster? So going through these experiences myself really help keep that focus and make sure that I always have my eyes on that prize. (music)
0: Okay, guys, thank you so much for listening. And Hannah, thank you so much for all that you do in this community and as part of your job and for just being an awesome person in general. I really, really hope that we can go on the road with our... Sex education uh, tour. I really mean that. So let's talk about that. Putting it out in the universe so that we can make that happen eventually. Also, guys, I know we talked a bit about Fertility Rally, and I'm so touched by what Hannah said about it. But if you are interested and you're looking for support, please check us out at fertilityrally.com or on Instagram at Fertility Rally. We have support groups. We have two support groups every week one's for pregnancy after infertility, and one is for regular infertility. And we have so many curated events, lots of content and tons of other things. So it's the place I wish I had when I was going through it. We would love for you to join us. All right. Thank you for listening. Talk to you next time.